Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of Catch Up with Louise McSharry. I have to stop saying that, though, because maybe you're not coming back. Maybe you're here for the first time, in which case, welcome and thank you for joining me. Um, I am delighted to be back with another episode and back indeed from my holidays. We had a lovely time. Um, definitely the most successful family holiday I've been on since I had kids. Uh, we went to Lake Garda. We stayed at like a I kept saying a family campsite, but I mean, there were loads of people there who weren't with kids or whatever. It was just a campsite um, on Lake Garda called San Francesco, I think it was called Camping Village. So basically there was room for uh, tents, there was room for camper vans, there, and then there were a little um, kind of glorified porta cabins that was what we stayed in but they were perfect like I mean everything you could need we spent the entire week outside even on the rainy days um there was really only one proper rainy day we but we were under the shelter of our little veranda outside and it was great the kids played Sam figured out how to swim with armbands big achievement um and yeah we had an absolutely lovely time and it made me feel like there are lots of nice holidays in our future, which is nice because when I think back to the first holiday that we went on with Sam, it was, <laughs> I remember just being like, I'm never going to have a good holiday again <laughs> because you just don't know before the first one. You still have holidays in your head of like switching off, lying by the pool, reading books and that did not happen like our first holiday was an absolute disaster Sam was the exact wrong age like you know he wasn't walking yet but he was crawling everywhere so you had to keep your eye on him the entire time the pool was like a little bit too cold for him he just wasn't really into it we were both so disappointed that we could like barely look at each other yeah it just did not go well I'm not saying everyone's holiday with their baby goes like that but that's how our first one went and it's great to feel the tide turning and like we are going to have fun on holidays in future in fact we had so much fun that I'm trying to figure out if we could go on another family holiday this summer which is truly remarkable and um, given where we came from um so this week's episode was recorded earlier in the week than it usually is because I'm actually away again I, I don't know who I think I am with two kind of holidays in the space of two weeks well actually I do know who I am I'm someone who got really excited last summer at the prospect of going to a gig with other people and bought primavera tickets on a whim sitting in my back garden when it kind of felt like it was very very far away anyway I'm absolutely delighted to be going um and I will say having an adult holiday holiday after a family holiday great idea would recommend it in terms of planning um but anyway hopefully nothing seismic happens between now and friday when it's released and when you guys are listening to it if it if it does happen just please forgive me everything will be back into its normal working order as of next week we've got great stuff coming up company speaking to ben peachy about their book the book of non-binary joy later on and uh, we've got all your latest updates in culture and entertainment we will be talking about that Liam Payne interview what is going on with him and uh, there's lots more as well but let's kick off as we always do by recapping 
the news. Aoife more political correspondent with the Irish Examiner, thank you for joining me once again. I missed you last week and I'm sure everyone else did as well. And this week is slightly off because we're recording on a Tuesday. Um, so just keep in mind, people, that we are recording this on Tuesday. So things may have changed between now and Friday. Um, there may be a big story that we unfortunately don't get to talk about this week. And it's not out of neglect. It's just out of scheduling um, challenges. Yeah. But we'll be back to normal next week. Um, so... A lot has happened, but I suppose the biggest story over the last couple of days has been the vote of confidence for Boris Johnson in the UK. Yeah, so Boris uh, loves to fight another day. There was a this man. Confidence How does he do this it? Man. So Bor- there was a vote of confidence or no confidence uh, in Boris Johnson last night. He won by 59%, which is actually less than what Theresa May won hers by mm-hmm. um, when she had hers. Now, we know when, even though Theresa May won hers, six months later, she was forced out of the job. And it is very much seen that that's probably what's going to happen to Boris Johnson as well. Mm. Now, Boris has said, you know, this is time to move on. You know, we've got things to do. There is concern now that because he is still very unsafe in the role that he might dig his heels in when it comes to the Northern Ireland Protocol. Mm. We know that the Conservatives have been threatening for a long time to override an international treaty, which is uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol. And because he wants to shore up his base now, because he is a deeply unpopular, that he might you know, start acting out. We know he's a very emotional, very irrational person generally. So that is a concern. I think the vote of no confidence had been summering for a while however if anyone saw Boris Johnson and his wife Carrie attending the uh, Platinum Jubilee over the weekend the minute they exited the car the the, the sound of booing yeah. echoed all around London like he was booed I've never seen that happen to any Prime Minister no. like in my um, lifetime but he yeah I think it became very clear to conservatives and a lot of them were saying that they went home over the weekend they were at different planet limb jubilee parties and a lot of them were told by voters you know well, yeah I will never vote conservative again whilst Boris Johnson is still the leader of the party mm. because at the end of the day he broke the law and not only did he break the law he broke the law when people were dying alone yeah. in hospitals and nursing homes yeah. and the queen was attending you know, her husband's funeral by herself that yeah. night, the night of Prince Philip's funeral, yeah. they had a party in Downing Street. Yeah. So I think it is mind blowing that he has managed to hang on. But did I you don't see think he will hang on much longer? I saw now I'm no expert in this realm, but I saw a tweet yesterday of someone saying that um a lot of it came down to to donors that the donors the the people who back mm-hmm. the conservative party financially were all kind of still on side with Boris and so mm-hmm. therefore they had a lot of sway and someone pointed out that that means that there's a few millionaires basically or probably billionaires uh-huh. who have like huge say in the in the way that British politics operates yeah it's becoming more and more like America the other thing that um plays to Boris Johnson is that he is a vote getter Mm. Now, I think this says a lot more about the British people <laughs> than it does about Boris Johnson. But um, he does win elections. This is the thing. He is weirdly popular. He he wins every election he, he goes under. Um, so that was a big part of it as well. But will he now, I suppose, is the question. I think severe damage has been done mm. um, to this premiership. We are, we are seeing very prominent Conservative MPs. It's not just backbenchers. Um, very prominent Conservative MPs saying that it's time to go. I mean, like, there's 200... Um, he won it 211 to 148. Like, mm. that's not a huge a huge victory. And as I said, it's actually less than what Theresa May had yeah. and she had to go anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll watch with interest. Um, Theresa May actually showed up last night to vote in a ball going, which I loved. Yeah, I mean, had, I'd be loath to give to Theresa May anything, but yes, absolutely iconic moves and um, turning up to your enemy's funeral in a in a ball going <laughs> i love it um okay let's talk about waiting lists because there was a piece this week about um apparently a quarter of the population of ireland is on a waiting list for some sort of health procedure yeah 1.3 million people are currently on a waiting list that includes 200,000 people waiting for things like physiotherapy and speech and language therapy 
nearly 230,000 people are waiting for an x-ray. Yeah. Can you imagine the pain that you must be in if you're waiting for an x-ray? Yeah. Um, there are over 100,000 100, children on waiting lists and the waiting lists are now 30% higher than they were pre-pandemic. Mm. I mean, this is an ongoing issue. We get these figures every year. And every year, nothing really seems to change. Mm. Um, the other thing it's doing, and this is something that really concerns me, is that it is forcing people who don't necessarily have the money for private health care to go into private health care. I've even had it in my own family, you know, waiting on a, a chest x-ray that was never going to come. So when I ended up paying in the north, there's a private hospital in Ballykelly, mm. um, paying to go to Ballykelly to get this very routine procedure mm. because they couldn't wait any longer on a waiting list and it's happening all over the country. And the thing is, the government has a plan called Slanchicare that was signed up to by every party in the doll that they wanted to move away from this two-tier system and they wanted to deal with waiting lists. And it actually seems that they've gone backwards. We hope that, you know, COVID-19 and the pandemic would force, you know, bigger changes in healthcare. And it's just, it's just not, it's not working. Um, You know, we've had over 14,000 non-urgent hospital appointments were cancelled in April. Mm. You, You know, like, it just seems to be, ongoing staffing issues we obviously linked to the pandemic as well as burnout among nurses and doctors yeah and that's the thing is that you can understand some of it like you can understand that of course things would be you know there would be a backlog from the pandemic Mm -hmm. and you can understand that there would be major staffing issues off the back of the pandemic as you say both through you know COVID sickness and you know loss of life Mm -hmm. and then also you know just burnout as you say but because it was a problem for so long before and because Slauncher Care is right there it's Mm -hmm. it's so frustrating because of course every person on a waiting list like some people on a waiting list are waiting for something and it's not a huge deal to wait for a little while but for other people you're talking about delayed cancer diagnosis you're talking about children who will never progress as far as they might have if they had had an earlier intervention like these are life-changing appointments in many cases exactly there's a person behind every single one of these Mm. statistics and as you say we were already on the back foot we were already in a healthcare crisis before COVID-19 came along and we also know and like me and you have also been through this but it's not even so much people getting covid but you you know yourself like i was sicker after i had covid than i was when i had it i got a chest infection after it and we're seeing a lot of that as well Mm. whereas people who mightn't have been in hospital because of covid now have to go to hospital because of the aftermath and Mm. this would be hard to deal with if you weren't already in a healthcare crisis and i would also point out that uh the t-shirt has not been pictured uh publicly with the minister for health for over two years Mm. So I think that tells you something about um, where me all Martin's at. Yeah, and I would imagine a lot of people are in the same boat as him. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about crash fees. It's one of my favourite things to talk about. That's a lie. I hate talking about it, but I feel absolutely compelled to talk about it all the time because they are absolutely ludicrous. I have some good news, though, to be fair. Um, So we can talk about the bad news first. So we heard this week the Dublin parents are paying up to 60% more in crash fees in other parts of the country. I think most people would have assumed that anyway, but it doesn't really um, sweeten the pill any, anymore. Um, Dunleary raft down is €244 Euro a week per child. Mm. Come on, lads. Um, and it's like, only... Uh, I'm not... That doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah. <laughs> it's 152 per week in Curlo. Um, overall, across the capital, parents are paying on average around €220 to um, have their children in crash. Now, uh, the front page of the Irish Examiner today, we have some good news. So the government have a plan. Uh, parents will see monthly childcare costs cut by hundreds of euro under a new cost of loving plan that have been drawn up um, for the budget. So Roger Gorman spoke to my colleague Elaine Lachlan and said that they were finalising proposals to significantly reduce crash fees. He said something like a 50 euro decrease wasn't no. wasn't going to be good enough. So they were going to do a serious reduction because as we know, crash fees also, it affects everything else. It keeps women out of the workforce. Yeah. It keeps, um, there's a lot of issues related to it. We also know that the other issues with crash fees is that the people who work in crashes also don't get paid Well, enough. that's what I was going to say. You know, you've got the the, the finances around crashes are, are tough for everyone because insurance, I know, is a big yeah. problem for the actual business owners. And the crash workers are not 
seeking is like seeing any of the benefit of the high fees and so they're struggling too and they work so hard and in my experience so well and then you've got the parents who are struggling 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 just to keep themselves on the road Mm -hmm. so uh selfishly i want to know when this is coming in because i want to know if it will come in on time for me yes so the It'll be budget 2023. They've said that like last year's budget had focused on funding for the providers, you know, that the the crash providers could reduce their costs. But the introduction of a freeze in fees is due to come in the force this autumn. And they're saying that that's just the first step in making childcare more affordable. So a freeze in fees and then a reduction Okay. Okay. Well, look, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to benefit from this, guys, but I am happy for you, people who are listening, (laughs) who are pregnant or who have tiny babies, because honestly, it absolutely cannot continue the way that it is. Okay. This is kind of an old story at this point, but we didn't get to talk about it because obviously we didn't do the news last week. And I just wanted to touch on um, the horrendous video that went around the internet last week of um, some men singing a horrible song about Michaela McAreevy. Yeah, so for people who don't know, McKenna McGreevy was a 27-year-old Tyrone woman who was murdered, strangled to death um, on her honeymoon in a hotel room. She herself was a gifted GAA player and her father, Mickey Hart, is probably one of the best-known GAA managers in the country. Um, her death, her murder, was a huge story at the time. She was killed in Mauritius. Um, it was just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, last week, there was a club of an orange hall in the greater Belfast area and a number of men, I'm sure a lot of people have seen uh, the video already. Um, I'm getting like white with fury even talking about this, but a number of men um, were sitting in an orange hall and they were singing a song mocking the murder of Makeda McAreevy. And the vibe um, of like, I've seen the video, I watched it yesterday in preparation for this. And like the vibe is very much like almost like Oktoberfest, like sitting at long tables with their pints and like football yeah. chants kind of vibe. Apparently it was like a centenary of Northern Ireland mm. kind of do. They were all sitting having pints. There's a lot of men in the video um, and they're singing. The worst about this is, and it was pointed out by the Justice Minister Naomi Long in Northern Ireland, not only did someone, um, you know, make up the lyrics to this song, everyone who was singing along, and there was a lot of them, knew the words. Exactly. So they've sang It wasn't the first time, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's a horrific song, mocking the fact that she was murdered, mocking the fact that no one was arrested. Um, her surviving husband, John, who um, is now happily married himself, he married again, which is a nice end of the story, but he didn't publicly comment, but he did tweet and say that Michaela was a vessel of love courage and dignity hate can hurt but never won which I think is a very dignified uh, response to something that horrific Mm. the there has been a number of PSNI interviews and people identified in the video a number of them have lost their jobs a number of them have been expelled from the orange order and there's been a huge political kind of uproar about it you know everyone from the UUP to Sinn Féin to Naomi Long, the Justice Minister of the Alliance Party. It has been roundly criticised. Um, there is a police investigation, a file will go to the DPP. I'm not really sure under what charges, yeah. uh, if any, they could be brought. Um, uh, but never fear, because the men now involved uh, and identified in singing the video in the video have released a statement saying that they are worried that they are now subject to a witch hunt. Mm. This is becoming, the Um, statement said, this is becoming a public witch hunt inclusive of repeated death threats and there is a growing social media mob who appear to have lost all grip on reality. And like, I mean, obviously death threats never okay, never. Um, But, you know, when you do something horrible like that and you're called out, I wouldn't, I don't think that's a witch hunt. Like you have actually done something terrible. (laughs) Like a witch hunt is... consequences for your very real actions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, now, before I let you go, I just wanted to touch briefly on this because I thought it was it was interesting. Um, because Google have been sued uh, successfully um, over mm-hmm. defamatory YouTube videos in Australia, and this is this yeah. is kind of interesting about where we're going on the internet, isn't it? It's the first of its kind, and I never even thought this could happen. Me As someone who is <laughs> someone who is quite regularly defamed, I never <laughs> thought I had the option to um, sue Google. Yeah, so an Australian court has ordered Google to pay a former politician um, just under half a million euro 
over two defamatory YouTube videos. So the former state deputy premier of New South Wales, John Borrelio, had, um, there was two videos made by a comedian uh, that were posted to YouTube a number of years ago. You're quite racist, abusive and defamatory. Mr. Borrelio said that he basically left politics because of the videos. Mm. Um, he said he was, he won. Basically, um, he won. He wrote to Google, asked them to remove the videos. They would not do it. When they wouldn't do it, he went to court. He said outside that you've either got to be courageous or stupid to take on Google. And maybe I was a bit of both. <laughs> but he won. He said he was very emotional about it. It was a bit re-traumatizing for him. Um, he said that he wouldn't have sued them had they taken them down in 2020 when he asked them. But they, they didn't. Uh, it was viewed tens of thousands of times. And it, actually, more interestingly, Google abandoned all defense uh, of the suit when it came to court. And basically, all they argued about was the amount of money mm. that they would pay out. Now, this isn't just a Google thing. He actually sued the comedian who made the videos as well. He was paid around 60,000 uh, euro um, by him. The videos were then edited. Um, but, you know, this man had lost so much, like his... Um, these videos basically are credited for ruining this man's political yeah. career. He said that he, you know, left politics after it um, because they were so defamatory and abusive and traumatizing. So Australia has actually been this beacon of, you know, they are going to start going after social media um, companies as platforms. Mm. You know, the Irish Times or the Irish Examiner or whoever, we are held responsible if defamatory uh, content is put on our website. So why are Google... Yeah. And YouTube and Facebook and Twitter held yeah. a different standard. You are no longer just, you know, a message board. You are a publisher. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Australia has been very good on that. And I think we're going to see more of this now in the next couple of months. Well, I hope so, to be honest, because um, we all know that there's an issue with that kind of behavior online, um, abusive, defamatory and all the rest. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Aoife, thank you so much. That's Aoife Moore, political correspondent from the Irish Examiner. I'll talk to you next thank week. Thank you. Now, Ben Peachy is a writer, speaker, diversity and inclusion consultant, fashion icon and LGBTQIA advocate, or at least that's how they describe themselves on their Instagram bio. And I am inclined to agree. Ben's first book, The Book of Non-Binary Joy, is out now. And I was delighted to have the opportunity to chat to them earlier this week. So I suppose, Ben, the first thing, maybe you could just introduce yourself for people who are listening who who aren't familiar with you and the work that you do. Mm, yeah. So, hello everyone. My name is Ben Peachy. My pronouns are they, them. I'm one of those really annoying digital multi-hyphenates. So <laughs> I've got fingers in lots of pies. So I'm a writer, presenter, speaker. I've, you know, I've had my hat in the podcast arena. I've done bits and bobs all over the place. Essentially, if you've got something that I might like to do, I'll probably turn up and do it. <laughs> <laughs> For a price, right? I mean, there's always a fee. There's always a check involved. <laughs> it's 2022. Exactly. Does anyone do anything for free these days? Well, that's why I wanted to clarify. I wanted to be sure. Um, Absolutely. So, no, I don't think anyone should be doing anything for free. Um, so the reason that I asked you to come on the podcast is because you have a new book out. It's your first book. It's called The Book of Non-Binary Joy, Embracing the Power of You. Um, and I was so delighted when I saw this because I think recently it has been a very difficult time to be trans or non-binary all of the conversations are mired in toxicity misconceptions sometimes lies and it's all quite dark isn't it i think the uk especially yeah is the center of what really is the trans issue you know we are um really at a really interesting time because we have probably the most visibility that we've ever had as a community. Remember, like, in the UK, we represent maybe less than a percent. That's mm. about 600,000 people. Mm. That's, like, maybe one of the teeniest, tiniest demographics out there. And yet there are so many commenters being talked about. You know, we're on the telly, but the, 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 the big problem is, the missing link is that we're not in that conversation. We're being spoken about, we're not being spoken to. Yeah. And so, of course, misinformation is the currency of the day. And literally, if I mean, if you put 
trans and then just press news on Google, you will probably get 25, 30 news articles from this week. And I could probably say that half of them will have misinformation, mistruths, probably have like someone from the government spouting some sort of rhetoric Mm. that is essentially making people scared. And if you look at the steps in history where leaders have tried to single out certain groups of people, we're on certain parts of that pathway already. Yeah. And that's really scary. It's been really interesting from an Irish perspective because we've had, mm-hmm. um, you know, the Gender Recognition Act was passed in 2015 here. So people can, yep. you know, self-identify. And we have, I mean, I'm not aware of any issues that we've had as a result of it. So I think when all of this started kicking off in the UK, we were all kind of like, uh, whoa, like what's the big deal? But it is a little bit scary lately because you can see there's it feels like there's an attempt for that kind of nasty transphobia not that we don't have our own transphobia of course we do but that kind of organized transphobia kind of making its way or trying to kind of permeate our society um, and and I think that so far we've been putting up a good resistance <laughs> um, yeah. but it is it is scary because at the end of the day as you say you know you're talking about a, a, a minority like an extreme minority but also a very vulnerable minority right Yeah, very vulnerable. The thing is, most sort of like trans people you speak to will tell you that they probably are going through some mental health concerns right now because being trans is really, really difficult. Remember, most of us grow up seeing no one like us, having no representation, definitely not in like adverts or TV, the stuff that kids find themselves in. Sure. We never never had that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, probably you end up being the first trans person you ever know. So you have to rewrite those rules to yourself. So it, mm. it is really scary. So if you're already in that mindset of like, mm, is being me valid? Is being me okay? Because humans get scared of difference. That's totally fine. But then what if the first thing you see about a trans person publicly is lies, is hatred, is misinformation? And you're right, this organized transphobia the business of transphobia Mm. you know looking into organizations like the so-called lgb alliance they are making inroads and they are being listened to by people in power you know i was looking at a a twitter thread yesterday god knows why i'm on twitter it's the worst place (laughs) i know right i have the same conversation with myself every day but it's worth it for the means um You know, so there's there was this argument that's been bubbling around for a long time that people of a certain age should not be allowed to transition. It should come to, Mm. you know, young adulthood, 16, 18. Mm. That we've heard for a long time. When really, if someone transitions much younger, it's so much easier. It's so much safer for the body. It makes it so much easier for them. Mm. And so that was an argument we've heard for a very long time. And now I've started to see those kind of threads with no one should ever be allowed to transition ever Mm. and that's now the conversation Mm. and if you didn't think that was going to happen why are we surprised and when you look at the LTV alliance that you know if you go on their website it's 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 a truly horrific experience I've been there for for research to Mm. understand you know you you need to understand what someone's talking about in order to be like how do we counter this how do we work with this and originally it was very much around sort of this hysteria towards trans people are trying to eradicate our existence. But now they're renegading and they're trying to change the rights of gay people. They're trying to change the rights of bisexual people. And I, I don't think anyone was surprised, but also like no one saw it coming. But also mm. that was going to be the plan all along. Yeah. So really, when trans rights go the rights of everyone else are going to start to be yeah. erased. Yeah, they that's won't start there. Yeah. And no, I thought, I don't want to spend it like, because I, that's not, I, did, I didn't no. want to have no. one of these conversations, but I just, one thing before we, we move on, I did see uh, the other day, one of the kind of, you know, one of the big voices in the, um, I suppose, turf community uh, mm. was uh, someone had found their speaking fee um, and how much they get paid to speak. And it was like 20 grand an engagement. And the person who was tweeting it was pointing out that it's big business, you know, at this stage to be one of these people. And that can't be ignored either. You know, there are there are definitely benefits, you know, to being right wing in any capacity. um, And this is not an exception. No, not at all. The thing is, as well, because, you know, in UK, freedom of speech is protected. It's, you know, and if you look towards the Equality Act, those laws are put in place to protect certain characteristics it also protects those that have 
different opinions. It also protects those that are kind of behind transphobia. And so, yeah, there is money to be mm. made. And what's scary, if you looked at like the speaking rates of some really big trans people in the UK, I don't think any of us would be getting any of that, nowhere mm. near 20 grand. Yeah. So, you know, turf, it's the business mm. because you know certain media outlets in this sort of like being nonpartisan, being open they can platform this yeah and, and they can call you know, it balance yeah and mm. until that stops causing loads and loads of comments loads and loads of engagement essentially money mm. until that stops making money the newspapers and tv are not going gonna stop. Yeah. Yeah, because it's business. Yeah, that's it. Anyway, as I said, the whole reason that I wanted to talk to you is because your book is called The Book of Non-Binary Joy. And I just love that because, you know, we don't hear enough about non-binary joy, Um, you know, because so often, you know, any mention of non-binary people is is in the mire of all of this darkness. Mm. So tell me about the book and kind of what made you think, no, I have to do this. So the book came from that landscape. You know, I was proposing this in 2020 and it was when we thought it was at that climax of like, this can't get any worse. Right. And the 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 sad thing is any non-binary person, any trans person, we know how terrible it is. We know how bad that yeah. situation is. You don't need another resource telling you about that. No. You know, that really is a conversation for allies. It's a conversation for those outside of the community. That's not something I think anyone needs to be publishing at the minute. If mm. you you know, unless there's something nuanced that you bring to the debate, like Sean Fay's incredible book, The Trans Issue, that was a step forward. But apart from that, we don't need to. So I was like, I want to create a resource for non-binary people because I've not seen it. I just haven't seen anything like that. And you know what? I want to create it, you know, like so much of the stuff we consume, TV programs, music podcasts, they're a distraction from the hellfire that is this world. Mm. No one's no one's lying about that fact. No one's saying that it's not existing. We're just saying you could also do with some respite. Yeah. You could also do with a break. Yeah. And so this this silly little pink book has pages filled with happiness, love, affirmation, validity, that, you know, those kind of comments do exist on the internet. And you probably could find some of the stuff in those gorgeous, gra- like pastel graphics. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't need to go on the internet to find this here. It's all in one place. It's written with love, respect. And also the brilliant thing is, I think, trans and non-binary people, we really understand our intersection. And I understand that my voice is not the only voice you need to hear from. And it's not the only experience because, mm. you know, if you speak to like another non-binary person, their experience is going to be so different to mine. And so I brought a lot of voices into the book. I yeah. wanted the people that read to take from more than just me. And um, really, it's a passion project and a love letter to the non-binary community. Everything I wish I hadn't had to learn on my own, everything yeah. I wish that someone had stopped and told me, Mm. you know, I think I've really realized in my journey with this book, my journey with, you know, working in the activist landscape is that I think to begin with, I thought this was for me. I thought it was to help me to make my life easier. I can't undo the awful stuff I've been through. I can't change that. You know, I've spent Mm. hours with my therapist and I think it's just sunk in that that's just not going to happen. So now my job, my responsibility, my reason that I breathe is to make it better for the next generation. Yeah. You know, yeah. as hard as my life has been, plonk me 30 years ago, it would have been 10 times worse. Yeah. And there were people then that fought for what I have now. Yeah. So now this is my job, you know, like I'm paying it forward. Think yeah. about like you're in the queue at Starbucks and you buy the person behind you coffee. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm doing. That's what this silly little pink book is. Yeah, I totally get it. And I know you're you're kind of being facetious when you call it a silly little pink book, but I, I don't think there's anything <laughs> silly about it because I think you're right. Like, you know, it, the, the idea of being non-binary is still something that lots of people are being introduced to and that lots of people, you know, have never even, there will still be lots of people who've never even heard of, you know, the term non-binary. And so yeah. for people who are non-binary, but who have never even heard heard the term non-binary there's so much discovery I can imagine and exploration that needs to happen so to have a resource is is really I think vital but what advice would you give to someone who is kind of just saying hey maybe that's me it's a really interesting place to be because it's such an important bad question and you know like it's not just a question that trans and non-binary people have 
but it's something that we're a little bit more aware of because perhaps we don't have a frame of reference around mm. us that allows us to plonk our life onto a template. So yeah. when you don't have that, it's like, where do I go? Yeah. The difficult thing about having those questions is you might be surrounded by people, you know, that might not be supportive of those you know, different approaches to life. You know, I I would call it non-traditional. I'd put traditional in like inverted commas. It's not important, but it is important to understand that there is a difference there. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard when, you know, you're scared about how, you know, maybe the grown-ups around you, if you're looking from a younger person or if you're coming at it from like perhaps like a midlife, you know, conversation. I was speaking to someone who's married with kids. How do you have that conversation? Because that changes the whole landscape of your life the landscape of your relationship so it's about finding safe spaces where you can learn in your own time because sometimes I think as humans because we rely on stereotypes because we are essentially lazy time-laden beasts we're like how do I understand someone really really quickly how do I do it how do I do it so you stereotypes you just fill in the boxes in our head It's, it's so easy to do and I know why we do it and it's helpful so humans want an answer super super quick but it might take you six years to work out who you are yeah. it's taken me all of my 20s I'm nearly 28 and I'm still not done learning right yeah. and I started this journey when I was 20 21 and so you need to find those resources that are there for you and I'm not just saying it could be my book it could be you know it could be those infographics on Instagram it could be podcasts it could be documentaries I think you know there's also that wider conversation you know you'll hear that conversation over pride about people's coming out stories Mm. they want you know they want that one clear narrative of how it how it happened what you did and how you moved on Mm. but you know for trans and non-binary people every new person we meet we have to come out to Mm. we have to explain who we are and the parameters of our identity Mm. it's every day for us yeah and so I would say don't rush it take some time for you and find the resources that speak to you Mm. and also be prepared to find answers that don't feel right or you know answers that you're like that's really scary right Mm. now that's a no for me but in like 12 months time you're like actually this isn't so scary I think the brilliant thing is that you can take as much time as you want yeah it's just there might be people in your life that aren't going to be ready to go on that journey with you yeah and I wish that wasn't the case so find the people that are there for you and that might not be family that might be chosen family yeah and also you know there are good organizations in Ireland if you're someone who's thinking about this Tenny um the transgender Mm. equality network of Ireland is a good place to start Tenny.ie or if you're a young person belong to our spectacular when it comes to you know anything that comes under the lgbtqia plus umbrella and um, so they're at belong to.org and tenny is at tenny.ie t-e-n-i um, and i'll stick those in the show notes as well in case you want to get in touch with them and um, before i let you go ben i just wanted to ask you a question and that question is what do you love about being non-binary I the thing I love the most about being non-binary is that there are no rules I think I for the longest time thought I had to fit into a set of guidelines a set of rules and that's really scary it's really rigid when you don't fit it's like shoving a, a circle into a square it's just it's just not gonna happen and the you know oh my once god you like Hillary Duff realize, yeah absolutely <laughs> Hillary <laughs> Sorry, I've been I've been rewatching. I've been watching. Um, I've been watching. Uh, are you aware of you know Whitney Port from the Hills? Yes. So she and her husband have a YouTube channel where they watch um, the old shows like The City and The Hills together and talk about. Oh, I cannot recommend it enough. But at the moment, I'm watching them rewatch Laguna Beach. So Hillary Duff is a big part of my life right now. So, so sorry for like sidetracking no. on your brilliant answer but no. you're right I get it there's you know you're you don't have to live within the parameters of any kind of preconceived notion no like anything I want to explore try do experience I just say yes and I've I started saying yes seven years ago and I've never stopped and it's the best thing I've ever done sure it's been hard sure it's been tough yes people on the internet hate me sometimes but at my core I have more joy than I have ever had and it it's beautiful. Ben Peachy, thank you so much. If people want to find the book of non-binary joy, Embracing the Power of You, it's available across the internet, easy to find. There's lots of Irish bookshops selling it. Um, ben, have a lovely one. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now it is time to talk culture and entertainment news. And this week we had lots to catch up on, as always, including the Liam Payne interview that got everyone talking about him and maybe not in the best way. Also, why SJP is still talking about Kim Cattrall and whether she should maybe give it up at this stage. And lots more besides. So let's get into it. Jen Gannon, thank you so much for being with me. You are a journalist, pop culture aficionado, and um, this year, Love Island correspondent for Ireland AM. Dun, dun, dun. It's <laughs> happening. Whether you like it or not, I will be on your screens saying things about people in their nearly nudes. Well, we will talk about Love Island because obviously mm. it just launched. But um, first, uh, I obviously we didn't get to do one of these kind of sessions last week on the episode, and I can't not talk about Liam Payne. Oh so God. we simply have to. What? Uh, what? Are, why? Everything I have learned about Liam Payne has been against my will. Like, <laughs> what is going on with Liam Payne? From him doing that weird Dutch-Australian hybrid accent when he was talking about Will Smith, which was unbelievable after the Oscars. Although Harry is now talking in a weird accent too, Harry Styles. See, okay, I have a position on the accent thing. I think that... People's accents change if they live in different countries. Like, that just happens. Um, And, you know, obviously I'm sensitive to this because Mm. I have a mangled accent (laughs) from living in various countries. Um, So I don't have an issue with that. But, like, Liam is... It's it's almost like the rhythm of the way he's speaking as well. And, like, the... And obviously what he's saying. (laughs) Well, what he's saying is very important. So it's not One Direction specific. X One Direction specific. But he is... Back in the public consciousness, because he did an interview with Logan Paul, which sounds like my idea of hell. Mm. Um, And I'm a professional, so I had to listen to this. And (laughs) it was extremely lads, 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 like a gang of lads trying to outdo each other and impress each other. It's all like bravado talking, like very hyper masculine. Yeah. Like whiskey drinking, talking about games, you know, doing martial arts, um, taking your top off, all that kind of ridiculousness. And he is somewhere between a football pundit and David Brent. (laughs) Like, he seems to have zero self-awareness, which is great for us because it's so entertaining. But he has, during this interview, reshaped, like, the whole story of One Direction to be around himself. He centered himself. He is the main character. So he was saying he was the main focus of the band, that he was the face that Simon Cowell shaped the rest of One Direction together, like around them, and that he was the main singer, Uh, which Lizzo, excuse me, already today came out and said, uh, I think you'll find there was no main singer. And if if there was one, it definitely wasn't you, Liam. So, yeah, I think that we're all aware of that, though. I never would have assumed that he was the front man of One Direction. Certainly not. And like, you know, what he, he said, like, you know, Simon Kell built the band around me and My face. I was going to have the big solo career. Like, mm. like, babe. No. And then he was saying, oh, I wasn't. Uh, he was doing this like false, weirdly for one part of the interview, he was doing this kind of false modesty thing. And oh, no, I don't know if I wanted to be a solo artist. And then, but Ed Sheeran happened to write me a song. So I had to, I was back in the game. And then he said, you know, he had the biggest 
solo single of all the guys, the rest of the lads put together. And I don't know where he was getting that information from because it's very dubious. And what we know about hardcore One Direction fans is they are going to look into every detail of this. Microscopically. And yes. Yeah. And they got the receipts and they were like, actually, you didn't, Liam. So I don't know. He has these stories and he kept on saying, I have so many stories to tell and about the fact that he had this amazing story about another band member who we were all kind of assuming who it might be, throwing him up against a wall uh, one night and him saying, if you don't remove those hands, there's a high likelihood you'll never use them again. <laughs> Which I just was... It was just stupid. The way bravado. he said it was so, yeah, so like boastful. Like, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm tough. Yeah, exactly. Like. And that's all, it was like he kept on trying to prove that, that yeah. it was like, you know, he wasn't some kind of, he's edgy. He's not some boy band cutie pie. Like, he's a tough dude. And it's like, this whole interview was like being egged on by the bigger boys in school and yeah. this revisionist history that he did. And he slagged off Zane, yeah. uh, but did counterbalance it with this load of self self-help nonsense that he was doing at the same time as he was doing this whole I'm I'm a dude he was also doing this hey everybody let's just you know I'm a fractured mind as yeah. well so it's such an odd juxtaposition the so whole interview. strange to think of him as the father of Cheryl Cole's baby well that came up and they were all kind of going you know patting him on the back for uh being a 14 year old and winking at you know Cheryl and then them ending up together which I thought was just weird really bizarre yeah really bizarre so I mean I think a lot of people like it's been headlines everywhere because a lot of people are just like we didn't realize I don't think anyone realized how in, different that man is or what wonder, he actually thought of the band themselves or but the I individuals want, I, I, I would be worried about him to I be honest too, because like he wasn't he potential. sober at some stage yeah. wasn't he talking about being sober and then he was drinking whiskey during mm. the interview and yeah. like he does seem a bit I'm not saying he's like mentally ill or anything but like he seems like maybe not in the great, greatest space and I think if you're looking at your bandmate, someone like Harry Styles, just going supernova yeah. and going to be in a film as well, starring yeah. in a film, like and just the life that he's living and the press that he gets about being such an open-minded, like generous kind of good soul, yeah. an all-round you know cool person. That it probably doesn't do your mental health maybe well, yeah. any good. And also, you know, One Direction did become extremely famous very young, mm. and Harry. And Niall appear to have been able to stay... Stable. Shockingly grounded, actually, in the context of all of that. So, you know, it's not unreasonable that maybe one or two of them would be a little bit damaged by it Mm. or maybe struggling with the aftermath of being that famous and that successful. Yeah, and having that focus on you all the time. I just wish someone would say, do you know what, maybe don't do any interviews for a while. Or get yourself a... I'm sure his publicist is cringing somewhere in the corner. Or not, maybe because they're like, well, it's great press. Yeah, I mean, it's... So he did get a lot of press. Okay, now let's talk about Sarah Jessica Parker because I would have mm. thought that Samantha chat was, was over mm. and that Sarah Jessica Parker would not be talking about Kim Cattrall anymore. But apparently that's not true. Yeah, there's an Access Hollywood podcast that Sarah Jessica Parker did. I actually love this podcast, it's by the so way, good. Awards Chatter. I listen to it all the time. It's so like good. long one-on-one interviews with people who are nominated for awards. And she is, like, to be honest, I like SJP. Yeah. I think she comes across really well. I don't know. She's one of my favorite people that did one of those Vogue the Vogue yeah, questions. I think questions, she just yeah. gets it. And I think anything she does like that publicity-wise, she always is very clever, mm. really intelligent way about putting her point across, I think. And But this is a sticking point. Like, this Kim Cattrall story is just a sticking point. And they did ask her about this very public feud and she said it's not a fight uh, it hasn't been public on my side of things I didn't bring this into you know the press or whatever and just the fact that she said it's very painful and it's painful to her that it's called a cat fight because obviously it brings it back to this denigrating women kind yeah. of and the way that there was always this focus on sex in the city is like oh there's all women together you all must hate each other mm. that kind of attitude but I mean I don't know I just think yeah this is Kim Cattrall obviously does not want to belong to this show anymore. Mm. And that's that's the be all and end all of this. Which is fine. Exactly. And she did her time and she did it amazingly well. She created an iconic character and she mm. did, you know, everything she was supposed to do in that way. But she has said, absolutely not. This is the book stops here. And the fact that they keep mentioning it, the fact that it was made such a focal point 
of and just like that where they were all teasing fans teasing the viewers kind of going samantha's text her samantha's made a phone call or whatever you're kind of giving them false hope yeah Uh, but i also thought just the way that she was written about in and just like that was kind of cruel when they were saying that like oh Carrie says about Samantha, oh, I'm not an ATM, I told her. Yeah. And I was like, that would never happen. And that's yeah. not the kind of character that you created. Yeah, and yeah. It's this very close relationship between Michael Patrick King and Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. The three names uh, that seems to be the root of this because they're so intermeshed. Yeah. They're so involved in those stories that that whatever happened in real life seems to have bled into that fiction, which I find really redundant now at this stage just stop yeah like, they have to move on because yeah. there is a season two of and just like that coming and can i say thank god i will watch every, every minute of it bit of. every <laughs> minute of it but i hope that they just let the samantha thing go because like i i like even i as a diehard fan i, d- I don't want to hear about it anymore like no. why can't you just go your separate ways it's fine we get it you're not friends she doesn't want to do the show that's it like let's exactly. just leave it but i also think there's a, a whole part of this where people are like oh, SJP's public persona is obviously not what she's like in real life. Like, there was a bit, I think her name was Kathleen Nimjay, Nimjay? Who was in Kathleen Hocus Pocus. Najimi? Najimi, yeah. yeah, who was in Hocus Pocus. And she came out with this tweet after the interview saying, oh, you know, supporting Kim Cattrall, basically saying that, oh, I understand where you're coming from or, you know, I fully support you. So there is these questions around her attitude or, you know, why... But she has said, Sarah Jessica Parker said in that interview, she's like, I'm always respectful to people. I'm always, and you do hear about that. Yeah, I was just going to say, because the vast majority of people who she's worked with are like, she's great. Yeah. So I kind of, I don't know. Yeah. I I just think that's, there's more questions about that. Yeah. Yeah. Than that interview, you know, and, and that became the story. Yeah rather than anything else okay let's move on um news about true detective i kind of thought true detective was over but there's going to be another series of it and i'm very excited about this announcement i am and i might be the only person that actually watched season three of true detective with mahershala ali and it was actually brilliant was it he was playing a character who's at two different stages of his life so he's playing himself in the past and then playing himself suffering from uh, alzheimer's the onset of alzheimer's and it was such an amazing performance and i think that was really good but they've moved away from season two was a total blip yeah poor Colin Farrell he was kind of sold a dud and if there is ever a cautionary tale about a showrunner who has had too much power too much control that is the swift rise and fall of the creator true detective Nick Pizzolatto because he just drank too much of his own Kool-Aid yeah he didn't even have a writer's room he just had himself he was all over himself and it's like megalomania no, you always need someone to to tell you a second opinion yeah whoa so I'm really happy there's like it's total reset um Barry Jenkins Moonlight's Barry Jenkins is involved he's one of the producers wow. and Jodie Bloody Foster is going yes. to be starring in it I mean come on Clarice I know self. exactly this is the thing like we know Jodie Foster as an amazing detective <laughs> the <laughs> so, best like, there ever was <laughs> it makes total sense to bring her in and obviously female-led series sounds fantastic I yes. am delighted it's gonna be great to and it. It's going to be called True Detective Night Country, which sounds like a show from 30 Rock, but it actually is better than that. <laughs> so it's going to get, take place in the Arctic. And so it's the like Arctic. 24 hours of night and like six men that Ugh. go missing without a trace. And oh, she's come on. Don't let us down. I need this to be good. I think it sounds all good for me. I'm ready for it. Me ready too. For it. Um, and then I thought this was interesting. Kate Bush is back in the charts thanks to Stranger Things. Yes. And you know what? I love this. I mean, I would like to think that we've moved on from that real silly kind of gatekeeper nonsense uh, that a lot of men used to go on with like, oh, you like this band? Well, yeah, name three albums. Yeah. yeah. And if kids are discovering, you know, and loving, more importantly, Kate Bush because of Stranger Things, more power to them. Like, yes, absolutely. I mean, I first heard the Velvet Underground properly on a Dunlop tire ad in 1993 when I was 11. So, you know, who cares? Yeah. Like, if wherever you find music and hopefully once you love it and become a fan, that's the best thing about it. Like, I'm pretty sure I came to know Running Up That Hill because the placebo version was mm. in the OC. Yes, it was. Like, yeah. I learned, I, I got to know loads of music through TV. TV, yeah. And, like, I think 
it was used to particular effect in episode four of Stranger Things. I'm not going to spoil it at anybody, but it's Sadie Sink's character, Max. It's her favorite song and it plays this really pivotal role in the episode. So mm. I and it's now the eighth most streamed song in the world. And it's her first American top 10 her first US top 10. Wow. Finally getting its juice 37 years after wow. it was first released. And I think that's the greatest thing about it. It's like a new Lisa life. And she said that herself. She said she was so excited about this song reaching young fans. Yeah. new fans and it seems so to amazing. me that like you know older music is having just as much of a role in young people's young people geez I feel like I'm 105 I know, so <laughs> but like you know teenagers say who you know when you're in that that age where you're at peak music discovery mm. like you know because these teens God, again how oh my god there's no way to talk about this without feeling 90 Ancient. oh god I'm very cool okay <laughs> but anyway and um, these youths the youths <laughs> I have access to music in a way that we didn't mm. and that even you know people who are in their late 20s didn't like exactly. when they were teenagers but these teenagers have access to everything all at once so like all it takes is hearing a song on a tv show and then you could be off on a cape Kate Bush binge for yeah. weeks you know I what I mean I cannot wait for them to listen to like that song she had about having sex with a snowman yes exactly or Babushka or anything <laughs> yeah. at all like but I think like people are like oh would they not have googled Kate Bush before they not come across her before and it's like no, no. how but would they they have so much going on there's too much going on they're yeah. oversaturated overstimulated and it yeah. takes that little bit of curation well this is the thing and like that's that's I think where now I'm off on a tangent now but I think that's obviously having worked in music and having done a, a new music show for years in radio like I think the thing that some radio stations are missing is that curation is the difference between an algorithm and radio or you know another way of bringing people music like you know the the actual careful selection by a human being of songs for particular moments as happens in tv mm. like that brings people to music in a really powerful way and like tr- traditional media needs to kind of look at that i think tra- radio in particular mm. and think about its relationship with its listeners exactly because the old kind of formulas i just don't think are going to work anymore where you just throw on the brand new songs and everybody's happy because that's not how anyone's engaging with music it isn't. anymore it's more personal and it feels more personal when it's used in such a way that it yeah. has your full attention exactly You're like that's what you need that's what we want more of yeah. in a way and I just think it's great that they're on this lovely weird journey yeah. and we always give out about things going viral like bad things happening because stuff goes viral but this is one of the positives oh, and great. I love it for her. I totally agree and um, very quickly we've got two more TV sh- TV so- oh my god I <laughs> my brain is not working two more TV stories um, and we will start with Love Island has launched yeah. there is an Irish contestant from the beginning which everybody's mm. very excited about I haven't actually seen it yet so how is it going uh, he has a love heart shaped birthmark on his peen <laughs> that's what we know about wow. Dammy Hope wow, Dammy. he said it he came out with that that's like one Good of the, the second thing he nearly said worth <laughs> saying by the way we're recording this on Tuesday and this week because of a scheduling conflict uh, in my life um, so potentially we've learned more so by I mean now, maybe we, he has we, more birthmarks <laughs> by now we could have seen it we don't know like, that's how for, does like, he seem though night. is he coming across well I really want him to do he's well he's very cool he's very removed um, he's observing everything I yeah. think from like just from the sidelines for the moment um, so we'll see I think it often goes well for the guys or the people in Love Island who are like that though some people some of them like bound in like a yes. Labrador puppy and they're like yeah, I'm, and that can I'm be a bit on much. camera look at yeah. me like, but yeah. it's much more natural to me to go in and be a little bit cautious and kind of like take your time yeah well like the thing about it is for me now this year we'll never talk about being old again oh my god there's such a concentration on youth it's yeah. like uh, Gemma who is Michael Owen's daughter yeah. is 19 and she was which Looking was weird because it's like come on girl you're 19 years old you're an absolute stutter you can find love anywhere Shag like around. exactly live your <laughs> life have a good time girl and then she was like oh my last full-time relationship long-term relationship was like one and a half years ago and I was like what so we're 17 that's okay fine whatever and then the other girls were like 24 is old and I could feel uh, my bones uh, turn into dust uh, I felt like the 
Elwyn from Titanic. I was like, I had youth. What is happening? And then somebody saying, oh, at 27, you should start settling down. And I was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I want a love island where it's like people from 25 to 35 at least. And the stakes are higher. Give me people with... baggage yes exactly and imagine how much more problems yes imagine <laughs> how much more interesting the conversations would be if you had people with yeah. history and baggage and like you know have been through a yeah. few things and felt a few things and feel a type of way yeah like and I, that's what I really want and I just I love it don't get me wrong because I love it should any- be like Love Island colon grown-ups exactly <laughs> that's what we need we do because I can't keep on listening to somebody say that like they're all past it at 24 and yeah like, I mean but, I'll still probably watch oh I will watch it because I, I it's so it's the weird rituals of the mating game in in microcosm yeah. and I want to see someone try and spell out something in avocado toast again and that's Wonder, always I worth mean, watching what more could we ask for and then before I let you go Jen you predicted you are the mystic meg of television I am just for this just for neighbors it's neighbor centric <laughs> uh, yeah I said Guy Pierce. we wanted Mike to come back and Mike is back Guy Pierce is back in Neighbours on his motorbike now they've upgraded it I think he has a Harley now oh. very exciting but uh, he's been taking pictures from set and it's the cutest thing if you have like his Twitter or his Instagram you have to go look at it. him and Harold I, it's just tear I was nearly crying because uh-huh. it's so it's like all of those memories Jane is back I think Craig McLaughlin is back like all the OGs from when it was at the height at the peak of its powers and when are we gonna are these episodes on our t- like what's the story there, with I, Neighbours now it's gonna be like well Neighbours is done it will be it's wrapping it's, yeah. it's wrapping up the summertime so I'm I'm assuming this will be like the final kind of shows in August maybe and is it is it still on our TV it, it will be on BBC so okay. I'm sure what they'll do is they'll do their normal wrap up of it on the BBC because it's shown at lunchtime on the yeah. BBC but what they'll do is for this they'll put it on in the evening they have to they'll do a big extravaganza saying goodbye to Neighbours they have to <sighs> Kylie is involved so we need to see this something to look forward to exactly Jen Gannon thank you so much for bringing us your brilliance thank you have thanks a great for week. having me you too Well, that's nearly it from the pod this week. But before I go, I have a few recommendations. By the way, how do we feel about pod? I don't know. It's not something I ever said before I had a podcast. And now I'm saying pod left, right and center. Do you know what? I don't even know why I asked because there, I, I won't be able to stop myself. I just know I won't. So we might as well carry on. Um, anyway, I have a few recommendations before I go. Number one, um, I mentioned this a few episodes ago. I said I was going to watch it. I hadn't watched it yet, but I'd heard good things. That is Life and Beth, which is on Disney+. Plus. and I have been watching it and it is excellent. This is Amy Schumer's new series um, it is about a woman in her life as are almost every <laughs> every program and book and everything that I enjoy generally is about a woman in her life but it's very funny but also quite moving and um, I would recommend also on Disney Plus Disney Plus is like really coming through for me at the moment there's loads of shows I'm watching there is Abbott Elementary which I had been reading about loads because it was a huge success its first series in America it is basically kind of a mockumentary style show set in a primary school in America so kind of like the office style um and yeah it's it's just very good good fun and um, the episodes are less than half an hour long so it's easily digestible the performances are good and um, I'm always looking for those kind of lighter things and if you are looking for one I think that's one that you might enjoy then I want to recommend a podcast after the tone is the podcast this is my friend Scotty's podcast Scotty is an incredible artist and performer and theater maker and writer and um, Scotty does just loads of brilliant things but because Scotty is my friend I'll be honest I put off listening to the podcast for a really long time sometimes I find that I put off reading or listening to or digesting my friend's work because I'm afraid that I won't like it Does, I don't know if that made sense, but like if my friend does something and then I listen to it and I don't really like it, I'll feel really bad about the fact that I don't like it. And then I'll like agonize with myself about what I'll say to them. And, you know, and I have a lot of creative friends and I and I always want to love what they're doing. Anyway, I should not have worried about this. And in like I listened to one episode and I was absolutely hooked. It went back to the start, listened to them all. I think there's they're on their fourth series of the podcast now. It's a very simple setup. 
basically people ring in, leave a message for Scotty. Scotty reacts to them in real time and gives responses. And it's such a mixed bag. So you get really moving messages from people who are looking for advice. You get funny observations from life. You get uh, just everything you could possibly think of. And what's really nice about it, one of my favorite things about it is that you get a lot of repeat callers. So you kind of get to know the people and it really feels like a community is building of people who listen and contribute to the podcast. And Scotty is just such a brilliant host. Sometimes he is giving really thoughtful, beautiful advice really considered and heartfelt and other times he's just ripping people to shreds and and I for one really enjoy that here's an example of him ripping people to shreds now I know I have some controversial opinions and I think this one might get me cancelled but I've got to get off my chest I think people who wear slippers are deeply unattractive there you go I said it I do honestly I'm gonna go as far as saying Ugly people wear slippers. It's true. Listen, before you get yourself all hyped, let me give you some justifications. A, slippers are essentially old-fashioned Crocs, okay? And side note, Crocs are also fucking vile. B, people who wear slippers somehow think that they don't have to wash them, so they, like, mope about the house with these, like, crusty, dirty things on the end of their feet. No, thank you. C, in which world are you that cold that a sock doesn't suffice? Honestly, if you're living in a place where it's that cold, put on a pair of shoes, put on a pair of snow boots, babe. But a pair of slippers, no thank you. So that podcast, as I said, is called After the Tone. I highly, highly recommend it. And it has literally nothing to do with the fact that Scotty is my friend. It's just brilliant. Anyway, time for me to go. But thank you so much again for being with me this week. I will be back with a new episode of Catch Up next Friday. In the meantime, I would be so grateful if you would rate, review, subscribe, whatever you're having yourself. And maybe if you like the podcast, you might even tell a friend. That would be hugely helpful um, to me. And I'm still... Again, so grateful to everyone who's listening and really appreciate the people who take the time to send me a message to tell me how they feel about the podcast or give me feedback on individual segments or um, just just say that they're enjoying it because it means so much to me. And um, I don't think that will ever stop. In the meantime, I hope you have a great week. As I always say, if you can't have a great week, that's okay too. Just take care of yourself as much as you possibly can within whatever your current set of circumstances are. And I will talk to you next Friday. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.